Before we get to this week's episode, we want to remind you that while this show will always be free, we also have a Patreon where you can get even more fandom. Uh, visit patreon.com forward slash the fandom show where for a couple bucks a month, you can listen to episodes early, get in your hot takes for episodes, uh, check out our nerds letter or listen to our patron exclusive, The Fan Club, where we watch movies that one of us loves and the other one has never seen. Last month, we watched Jaws, which I had never seen before. Will I see it again? You'll have to listen to find out. Uh, so once more, that's patreon.com forward slash the fandom show. But you're already doing the best thing you can do, which is just listening. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you for supporting this show. And let's get to the episode. Hello, 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 and welcome to The Fandom Show, the podcast where we learn about fantastic fandoms by talking to our favorites about their favorites. I'm Kai Green. And I am Stephanie Mallet. And today we are talking about something completely different. It is Monty Python. Yay! Yay! Also, Happy New Year, everyone. This is the first episode of 2024. That's right. Welcome. It's the future. Welcome. You made it. Yeah, you did it. <laughs> it's all downhill from here. Or uphill? I have a question. Is, it, is downhill from here easy or bad? I don't know. I've always wondered this. Downhill's always my favorite. Because sometimes you're it. like, it's all downhill from here, and that's a bad thing. But sometimes it's all downhill from here is great. You're like, like, if you're on a legs bike, feel better. That's better. I this is less this effort. Is, less effort. You, you know, tell us in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're talking about Monty Python. Kaya, what do you know about Monty Python? I know that they are a British sketch troupe. Mm -hmm. um, that they were super influential in comedy. Uh, that they were very uh, uh, absurdist um, and uh, did a lot of. Uh, wonderful, iconic sketches um, and movies and recordings. Um, what do you know about Monty Python? Um, I uh, grew up with it in my periphery. Like I kind of, I was a big Faulty Towers person, so oh, I knew about yeah, John yeah. Cleese and then was like, oh, this is something else he does. Oh, this is weird. Why are these drawings happening? Oh, yeah, I yeah, I don't yeah. understand what I'm watching. Oh, we'll get into that. <laughs> um, but uh, I also love Spamalot, the musical. Yes, We'll yes. talk about that a bit, too. Yeah, very much um, so. But yeah, the very absurdist comedy, very... Yeah. Um, it, it also very like male comedy in my mind when I was young. I was like, oh, I don't know if this is, if I'm the audience for this. Um, but well, like it's still uh, iconic and like such historic yeah. comedy. So much so, like I studied it when I was studying comedy in high school, and like that's that's the stuff that you you learn when you figure out how comedy came to be. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. it is definitely so influential to so many people uh, and impacted a lot. And one of those people that this impacted uh, and who is our fan this week is Anders Yates, who is an actor, improviser, and founding member of the comedy troupes Uncalled For and Dance Animal. He also stars in the upcoming queer horror short Bath Bomb. And if you are in the San Francisco area or will be around there, uh, he'll be performing his solo sketch comedy at the 2024 San Francisco Sketch Fest. Anders, welcome! Welcome! Thank you! So happy to have you here. Oh, so good to be here. Yes, uh, and I can't think of anybody better to talk about Monty Python as someone who performs sketch yourself. I do. I'm the only person who does it. The it's only great. one? We found yeah, you. That's what the you solo sketch it is. It's, you're the yeah. one guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we found oh. you for this show. Uh, Big get for us, really. Well, I'm sorry, no, the, the, only, the only male performing sketch. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody else, you yeah. know, they, they've got that covered but so uh Andrews let's imagine someone somehow has gotten to the year 2024 and has never heard of Monty Python mm. how would you explain it to them uh yeah I would explain it much in the way that you did in your intro they're an absurdist sketch comedy troupe uh but some of the the, the hallmarks I think the things that make them Specifically them, uh, unlike other comedy troops, is that they, uh, or other sketch comedy, is that they would weave their sketches into one another and th none of them had like sharp endings or blackout moments. Yeah. Uh, so the, the next sketch would just sort of pick up from where the last one left off and even knowing what the end or beginning of any particular sketch is would be hard to say. Uh, and a lot of that was helped along with animation, like you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so they're, they're absurdist uh, and... And male. It's yeah. true. <laughs> it's true. Can't deny it. <laughs> yeah. um, what's your origin story? How did you get into Monty Python? Well, I'm a lot like you. I was a big uh, Faulty Tower. Oh, Faulty Towers really? Fan. Yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Fabulous so, show if you uh, haven't seen it. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, and, you, you know... Uh, Great farce. If you like Frasier, you'll like Faulty Towers. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I I knew uh, about John Cleese because of that, and uh, I even 
you know, new people uh, like in high school who uh, mentioned it or referenced it. And I started to feel like, oh, I'm, I'm missing out on this other thing that John Cleese apparently has done that I didn't know about. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think it all uh, was because uh, PBS started airing Monty Python episodes mm. as well as the John Cleese uh, Faulty Towers episodes that I had been watching previously on PBS. Right. This was back when you couldn't just be like, hmm, a thing I want to see. Let's to the internet. Let's see couldn't do it. Yeah, couldn't do it. Had to wait till somebody gave it to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do remember it being on like random channels and I'd just be like, what is happening in this show? Like I did, it's a show that if you also just kind of casually jump into, you're like, I, I don't know. What is, what is this? Who yeah. are these people? What are they doing? What is this parrot all about? Yeah, see, my dad made me listen to the uh, one of the recordings, oh. one, of the, one of the CDs, yeah. and was like, you know, this is comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Do it right. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, got, I got several of those comedy albums, and I was so fully into it at a young enough age that, uh, like, I didn't understand what the song Sit on My Face and Tell Me That You Love Me was... <laughs> about uh, and and I heard like uh, I played that like on the uh, car stereo while my dad was driving oh my god <laughs> what was your dad's reaction oh my god was like um Maybe don't listen to this around other people. <laughs> How old like, are you? Why? I can't uh, think of why. I, you know, not young enough that I shouldn't have been able to figure it out. <laughs> like, like old enough that like <laughs> It's not too hard. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, is, it's okay. I remember doing a lip sync at some point in like, I want to say grade seven or eight to Missy Elliott's Work It, um, fully not understanding what that, <laughs> that was about. It, it, it happens to us all, yeah. right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> okay. So let's, let's talk about like their comedy. We've talked about like what makes it distinctive or that it is distinctive, but what makes mm -hmm. it distinctive? Like what is, what would you describe Python-esque as being? I think that, uh, a lot of it is uh, this this attention to uh, absurdity and doing things not necessarily because they are funny, but because they are interesting, or mm -hmm. adding things uh, or details or or setting something uh, up in a in an unconventional location just to just to destabilize, just to right. keep whatever's going on. Uh, uncertain. So you, you can't ever quite get comfortable, even when they're working within a, a premise that you can you can put your finger on and say, okay, this is what the bit is. Well, there'll also be something undermining that somehow. Right. So, yeah. I, well, it was just a very, uh, you know, 60s, 70s, almost punk-ish or slightly rebellious yeah. kind of yeah. uh, vibe. Yeah, with like a little bit of like almost a, a hallucinogenic kind of feel to it. Definitely. If that makes sense. Oh, and especially from the animations. Yes. Uh, had a very uh, hallucinogenic vibe to them uh, that were just so uh, colorful and absurd and strange. Yeah, I feel like they're very wordy as well. Like they play with language a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're very, very wordy. Uh, I have, uh, of course, a book of all of the scripts of all of the episodes of Monty Python's oh Flying God. Circus. That's awesome. And like some of their jokes, like their comedy, in my opinion, hot take, doesn't always work. It's yeah. not always working. And sometimes it's because they went a little too nerdy or they just like <laughs> they got a overwrote themselves? something. Oh yeah. yeah, that makes sense. But they overwrote to the point that like in, in the scripts for the television episodes, there are character names that never get spoken aloud that are just stupid. They'll name <laughs> a character Mrs. Kitchen Sink, you know, what? like things like that. Uh, yeah, and they'll do that also with people whose names do get spoken out loud, but just anybody, give them the dumbest name possible. Great. <laughs> I love it. Um, we obviously, we've talked about the animation a few times now. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us a bit about Terry Gilliam and how his animation style informed the comedy of the group and the, the show? Yeah, so uh, his animation style was... Uh, mostly uh, just flat cutouts. Uh, he would just move these little cutouts that often were, uh, you know, of old, uh, like, 
like 18, 19th century photographs or like very, uh, yeah, just old looking yeah. things made to animate and move around. Paintings in, sometimes, right? Definitely. And naked ladies, a lot of yeah. naked ladies. Yeah. Uh, Female representation's important. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Oh, shout <laughs> out to like, Carol <laughs> Cleveland. Great uh, unofficial additional Python. Yes. Um, yes. But uh, but yeah, his uh, his animations a lot of the time were born out of uh, the rest of the team saying, okay, we've got this sketch ending here, we've got that sketch starting there. Uh, Terry, can you just animate something to link these things together? And he would come up with something. And uh, he got a lot of uh, freedom to sort of go off and do his own thing. Uh, and yeah, I I... I don't know, I love them. I was watching episodes last night just to get ready for this, and the thing that I laughed the most at in the episode that I watched was one of Terry Gilliam's animations. Really? Yeah, it, well, he just, uh, it moved at such a, like, unnaturally slow pace, but because <laughs> it's animated, it can happen in this very, very controlled way that something can be happening very slowly and you see exactly where it's going, but it can hold that tension for you for <laughs> such a long that. time. It's really, really satisfying. Or you just start laughing because you're like, oh, yeah. oh just get there. Oh, yeah. oh, God, oh, God. Such a fun <laughs> gag. I also like was reading that sort of, those animations got to be a little bit more violent or lewd because they were animated. So they like made it past a lot of sensors and got to be like way weirder than they would have gotten away with otherwise. Oh, for sure. And and it's not drawings of naked ladies. He's taking like a photograph yeah. from like old timey, like, you know, silver nitrate pornography or whatever, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, like uh, original, like, uh, oh yeah, Nickelodeon. Ooh, look at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, somehow they get away with that. I remember being astonished, like, does PBS know that this is what they're putting on Have the air? Have you seen this? It just really <laughs> illustrates the, the 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 blurry line between those things is so absurd. It's oh, yeah. like what is and is not appropriate is is never makes sense. Of course, of course, uh, and yeah, and Terry Gilliam went on to uh, direct some amazing movies and a lot of awful ones, um, <laughs> like any that we might not realize that he's. A, I don't know him as a director. Oh, uh, I mean, his his hits, the great ones, uh, Brazil. Oh, oh, yeah. God, that movie's incredible. Yeah. Uh, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, flawed masterpiece. These all make sense. Uh, 12 oh, yeah. Monkeys, yep. masterpiece. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, and that's that's most of the masterpieces. <laughs> some other ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steph, have Fisher you not King seen was Brazil? Right. Fisher King I, was all right. I watched it once. I remember being like, this is weird. This might appear on our fan club podcast because oh, I really like Brazil. Okay. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, so if you had to point someone towards the top. Uh, definitive Monty Python sketches, what would you recommend for people? I know, it's a big question, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean... Go with your gut. The, uh, I mean, the definitive ones, the most famous ones, the argument sketch, Love of course, one. the dead parrot sketch, definitive. Uh, and uh, those are both from the TV show. So, what, like, from the movies, uh, like... Mr. Creosote is pretty iconic. I don't think I, think. I know that. I don't know. Which oh, movie is that that's from? That's from Meaning of Life. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, that one cracks me up a lot. <laughs> and, and, and like a lot of what they do, it's mildly problematic. Oh, sure. Uh, well, I mean, yep. a lot of what they do is more than mildly problematic. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> do you think um, at the time it was considered problematic or is it with our lens of today looking back and being like, Mr. Ooh. Creosote? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Creosote. Well, the, the problem with Mr. Creosote is it's uh, uh, some some uh, some fat phobia involved in there. Mm. So I don't think anybody was thinking about fat phobia no. in, God, no. <laughs> in the uh, the eighties when that one came out. Um, but yeah, no, they oh they did stuff that they should have known better about. <laughs> they, they really, I wish they knew better <laughs> about right. uh, some of the like. There's occasional blackface. Mm, There's, that's uh, occasional's and, enough. <laughs> yep. Uh, and, uh, you know, and impressions of uh, several other races mm -hmm. that will show up uh, in the show. Uh, and it sucks. It sucks. Um, but... That's what you get when you like old things. It's true. <laughs> and All our faves are problematic, <laughs> yep. as they say. But it's, I think it's it's neat to be able to watch it now with today's lens and be like, cool. Like some of this, absolutely revolutionary, groundbreaking. We couldn't have some of the comedy we have today without it. But yeah. also being like, and I wish you hadn't done that. Yeah, it's a it's a real baby bathwater kind of situation of yeah. like, mm -hmm. is 
can we find a way to not just throw this out wholesale and like take the things? I mean, you can't not take the things that Monty Python did well because they're in everything. They're yeah. everywhere. Oh, like absolutely. It's the DNA of so much modern sketch. Yeah. You know? Oh, and speaking of, to bring it back up, you mentioned, uh, you know, it's a very male troupe. Mm. Uh, they, of course, played a lot of female characters. Yep. They would drag up and it... I find a lot of those characters are hilarious, amazing. Uh, it it might have been nice if <laughs> if it could have been shared uh, and a little bit more equitable. Yeah, no, but the, there were no but, women in Britain at the time, no, so of course, it would have so. been impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, they like they so clearly influenced Kids in the Hall as another Certainly. one. It's an all male troupe. Uh, if you're listening, and you don't know they're a Canadian mm-hmm. uh, comedy troupe. From oh, if you don't know, you should know. You oh, my should goodness. know. How do you think that some of the like weird uh, aging? Between that and kids in the uh, Monty Python and kids in the hall, do you think that they're equivalent in terms that they're like uh, not aging well? Or? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure, kids in the hall did blackface as well. Yeah, you know, uh, so uh, yeah, and they were later, so they had even less of a reason to <laughs> oh, no. uh, claim that they didn't know better. Uh, so yeah, yeah, kids in the hall uh, d- definitely problematic, uh, you know. But uh, but I mean, there's. A lot of a lot of similarities between the two. I mean, they're groups of men, but each has one gay man in the mix. Just sort of being <laughs> like, oh, you know, well, well, this is something. <laughs> Look, diversity, diversity, diversity. yeah, <laughs> it's so important. We may all be white, but <laughs> but we can change that for this sketch. Yeah. Oh, oh. Oh. Uh, but yeah, and of course, lots of drag uh, in yeah. Kids in the Hall, and. Uh, I don't know. I um, I don't get to be the one to forgive it as a man, <laughs> <laughs> the lack of representation. But what I'll say is that I just think there's a lot to be said for a sketch group where you have this this cast of characters who are all the ones who created these mm-hmm. ideas and are working together and presenting them and playing all the parts. In yeah. It. yeah. Um, you know, Kids in the Hall had a big writer's room, Monty Python. It was just them. They were the only ones who wrote it. Yeah, so I yeah. guess that's one of the other key differences. And Kids in the Hall didn't, like, bleed their sketches together in the way that mm, Monty yeah. Python would. Yeah, that's pretty distinct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Would, would you say that Monty Python was political? Like, do you think that they had a political bent? I, I, yeah, a bit. Uh, they definitely had uh, – they liked making fun of uh, – upper class uh, people and the class structures in Britain. So they definitely had that angle yeah, uh, yeah. going on. I mean, it's hard not to. It's very silly. Absolutely. <laughs> it makes for good comedy. It does. Like the Ministry of Silly Walks type thing. Like yeah, bureaucracy. absolutely. Oh, yeah. Add that to the classics list. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We yeah. saw on um, Halloween two people dressed up as the Ministry of Silly Walks walking around oh. doing the Silly Walks. And it was... One of the best costumes. That's I've seen. commitment. And you know what? We were out in a neighborhood where a lot of people were without with, were out with their kids. These were just two adult men who knew that there were going to be a lot of people out on the street and wanted to make people happy, and it was great. Amazing, amazing. Also, like as far as a costume goes, it's a suit and a bowler hat. Yeah, yeah, is totally. what it is. The well, costume is the walk, and the yeah, the walk is the costume, which is very funny because they were dressed up in many layers because it was cold out. Oh um, so at one point, we saw them at the side of the road, like taking layers off because they were so warm from doing the silly walk. And it's not like you can stop doing the silly no, walk. No, you just don't have a costume. Then you just are wearing a suit. You're just so, a guy in a suit. So they they had to commit to that, but they were s- dripping in sweat. It was so funny. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Bless them. Um, what are some of the classic characters? Obviously, we just talked about the Ministry of Silly Walks. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's the feminist bookstore owners from Portlandia, or mm-hmm. Key and Peele has their anger translator. Mm-hmm. Do you think there are some iconic characters from Monty Python? Yeah, that's a good question. They, they, there weren't a ton of characters that they would return to and bring bring back over time. Uh, there were some certain, like, incidental characters they would do that with. Like, they had... Uh, well, they have... Uh, the um, the Gumbies, I guess, the those like uh, you know idiots wearing a cloth uh, tied uh, uh, hat, then and uh, just standing in a stupid pose and talking like this. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, those are those are pretty <laughs> uh, iconic and returning, and just any upper class twit, especially one played by John Cleese. He plays such a He's good upper class, good at it, little. 
twit. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best word for it. Yeah. Well, and t- it's not a recurring character per se, but Terry Jones does like to uh, play lots of different women who all have the same voice, which is this sort of voice that not any real woman talks with. <laughs> but he he mm-hmm. will always pull that out. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. He's great. Uh, do you think Monty Python remains relevant today? Hmm. Uh, sure. Yeah. Absurdity is always relevant. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely. And it's. I find it actually kind of surprising that there there's not a ton of, or I'm not seeing. Maybe I'm, I'm. I would really love to have people prove me wrong in the comments. I'm not seeing a ton of the kind of experimentation that they're doing or or did in uh, a lot of the. Uh, more mainstream comedy that I watch, uh, you know, doing things more because they are weird than necessarily because they are funny. But then yeah. they're also—I mean, I get no. Okay, you know what? Now I'm already going to walk that back. <laughs> Tim and Eric. Tim just, and Eric yeah, are yeah, yeah. The, the big examples of uh, that type of experimentation oh, and the whole network of insanity that they have yeah. uh, birthed. So, um, so yeah, you know what? I'm already. Uh, it's relevant, and other people are doing it, and I don't have anything to add. <laughs> I wonder if some of that has ac- actually migrated to TikTok. You know, like I wonder if that's where more yeah. absurd comedy is ending up these days because it's so easy to experiment with. I don't know because I'm not on TikTok, but that might be a that might be where some of it goes. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, like uh, like any person my age, I watch my TikToks on Instagram yes. a few weeks after. They <laughs> yes, me as always. Come out on TikTok, um, but as is our we're way. very relevant. Yeah. We're very relevant. So cool. Uh, but yeah, no, I have seen some accounts like that where yeah, I'm just like, oh, this is just weird, uh, and sometimes it's also funny, but mostly it's weird. Great. Yeah, Love it. I feel like the word for it, though, is random in those scenarios where yes. it's like, oh, this is so random. And or maybe that's millennial. Maybe it is. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I thought we, we grew past that word. I thought it came back <laughs> yeah. around is maybe. the thing. Oh, God, are we that old? Yeah. <laughs> it's impossible to say. It's. I find it really interesting how much uh, underappreciated the art of doing random well Oh, it's is. so hard. Yeah, because, well, I mean, I remember shortly after, you know, discovering Monty Python and being a teenager and being like, I'm going to make things. And I guess it means that you can just like throw anything and as long as it's different or weird or unusual at the wall, it'll it'll stick and be funny. And that's not how it works. <laughs> not true. <laughs> uh, so, you tried. Yeah. You, you know now. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but I still think it's, it's worth keeping an element of that in there, but you just, it, it takes a lot more intention and, uh, and, I guess taste in a way yeah. to to know what will serve you or what will be interesting. Yeah, it seems comparative to me to like expressionist art where it's like, oh, I could paint that. It's like, well, technically you might be able to. Mm-hmm. Like you can put the same amount of drips on a paint, like, but can you make it as good as this? Yeah. You know, I, I, I wonder if it's the same thing. It's like difficult to make chaos. Well, yeah. and it's context and timing too. Like I think, you know, someone could just do a line on a canvas, um, but not have, you know, when people infuse their meaning and their context of when they're doing it and where they're choosing to display it, that also adds into the the story of that. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's hard to make things feel random sometimes. Yeah. Uh, do you think that the reason we're not seeing so much of it on TV, because obviously there are some instances, Tim and mm-hmm. Eric, uh, I think you should leave, I think is another version of yeah, very yeah. definitely has its moments. Yeah. And uh, uh, Mr. Show did the bleeding sketches one into oh, the other as well. Yep. So they've, they've got that. But yep. do you think it's because uh, of sort of the industry not being willing to invest money in chances? Oh, totally. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Monty Python wouldn't exist without the BBC, you know, yeah, they, totally. with, without just yeah. like, which, you know, they loved to mock and make fun of uh, relentlessly, just like uh, the kids in the hall made fun of the CBC. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But blessed they were given the opportunity to make those things, of even course. though they're punching at the very people who are feeding them. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is true that a lot of com- comedy, I never really thought about that, comes from two countries that have public broadcasters. Yeah. yeah it never really mm. occurred to me, but that's interesting. Yeah. And mm. we share a lot of similar comedy styles with uh, Britain, I think. Canadian uh, is a beautiful melding of British uh, dryness with American uh, humor. In both good and bad ways. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm not saying it's uh, positive. Yeah. I'm just saying it is. We, we adopted many of their qualities, for better or for worse. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, but, yeah, no, it... it 
it definitely, it's even Monty Python had trouble getting funding for things. Like uh, they were already a big success, and uh, and uh, when their first you know big movie, because uh, they had made uh, technically and now for something completely different prior to Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Though I don't really count that one. Just <laughs> that's, that's just sketches just recycling show, sketches. Right? Yeah. But they take out the laugh track because it's a movie, and they don't you. you you can't play the same sketches with that, you know? It doesn't work as yeah. well. And you're refilming it anyway? Why? Well, <laughs> anyway, uh, tangent. But they had trouble funding uh, their movies. And uh, George Harrison from The Beatles had yeah. to fund uh, Life of Brian to yeah. make that happen. Uh, one of my favorite things about, like, just pop culture history is finding out what famous people made other famous people famous. Oh, my <laughs> like, God. Like, yeah, Dolly Parton made Buffy happen. Or, like... That's incredible. Um, Lucy... Uh, like I love Lucy. Mm-hmm. Lucy uh, made Star Trek. Made Star yeah. Trek happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that stuff's so fascinating oh, to me. Danny DeVito is behind so much <gasps> wonderful, wonderful See, stuff. This is what I'm talking about. Really, Danny DeVito. Uh, yeah, he w- produced Pulp Fiction. Well, uh, I did. Yeah, what? yeah. yeah. What? <laughs> yeah and, and the list is long. Like, check his producer credits. Uh, Danny That's DeVito so is behind uh, making a lot of interesting things. Happen. I knew he was a big producer, but I had no idea that. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, he's great. Danny, I know you're listening. Thank you so much for making those things happen. Yeah, Mr. DeVito, if you Mr. ever have DeVito. any extra money kicking around, uh, we could use it. So Look us up. Um, have you seen Spam a lot? I actually have not. Oh, no, really? I haven't. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. So in this, you can be the experts uh, talking to me about it. How, okay, so having not seen it, yeah. but knowing Monty Python and the Quest for the Holy Grail, of course. how do you, like... What do you think that translates to on stage? Like that's just so. This is fun. This is fun for me. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. I. Uh, I mean, I'm. I'm willing to bet that it translates very well. Uh, I don't even know the uh, full story behind how it was made, but I'm pretty sure that uh, Eric Idle was probably the main one behind was, it. Yeah, yep. because he's the one who's been cashing in the most on uh, <laughs> Monty Python and things since then. Get it. Get but it. you know what? He's great because you know some of the other ones. Uh, Terry John Gilliam, John Cleese. Cleese. Not, not saying great things uh, yeah. in this phase of their lives. <laughs> Don't follow them yeah. on anything. Oof, oof, yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, just like, it's a shame that they were so talented in so many things that they have done. In yeah. Movies. But anyway, uh, yeah, I I mean, there are some songs in the movie originally yeah. that uh, could be easily expanded. Uh, you know, Knights of the Round Table has got a great... Uh, like rhythm to it yep. uh, and so yeah I could totally see that expanded into a full Broadway number uh, do you know any of the songs from the Broadway show that weren't in the movie like no. do you know anything about no. Anders no. we're gonna go see Spam a lot oh man together. please yeah. yes I would also like if we can find a recording of the OBC that we can obtain legally um, <laughs> I would recommend watching that too because the cast is phenomenal it's mm. like Hank Azaria um, <gasps> David, David Hyde Pierce, Pierce to cross over with our oh Frasier episode yes and um, he's got in my opinion uh uh, one of the best without numbers. won't succeed on Broadway. Yes, yeah, I I I sat down and memorized that in high school. I liked it so much. <laughs> oh, it's a phenomenal song. Oh. Yeah, um, there I I think you would enjoy it. Tim oh, Curry I know I would plays enjoy it. King yeah. Arthur. What? Oh yeah. my God! See, uh, this is, now I feel like such a sham of a fan. You're not. There's <laughs> no, no this wrong is way. A, this is this is an offshoot. Uh, Sarah Ramirez plays the Lady of the Lake. Uh, like it's it's wild. Yeah. Known known now as Che on and just like that. What <laughs> <laughs> they're best known for, unfortunately, oh. um, <laughs> not their Tony winning performance. <laughs> oh. Anyways, that, I'm just very excited to uh, make you watch that with us. I can't wait. Come uh, over to our house. <laughs> I'm going to earn back my nerdy fandom cred, uh, even though I haven't seen Spam a lot. I have played the official Monty Python CD-ROM games. Uh, what? Did you, yeah, did you play the Quest the, for the Holy Grail one? On the family computer. Yes, oh I Oh, my sure God. Did. My yeah. friend had that. Yeah, there I was played t- that one. Dead and Body Tetris? Yep. And there was uh, the one for the, the Flying Circus as oh. well. Yeah. Can somebody please explain these to me? What are these? They are uh, so the the one uh, for Flying Circus is the one that I uh, have clear memories of because <laughs> it was a long time. It was in the era of CD-ROM games. Oh, bless! Uh, it's like late nineties. Yeah, um, but the the Flying Circus one was 
kind of just a point and click, like, uh, you know, searching along a, uh, throughout a big, weird uh, screen where a lot of the, uh, you know, characters from different episodes of the show were animated in a very Terry Gilliam style. So sort of still frames of them are moved around and have their, like, mouths flap open yeah. uh, while they're saying things from the show. Uh, and, yeah, you just had to, like, hunt and find things. And the, like, key problem that you ended up having to solve to, to beat the game was that uh, as you were, like, going through different parts of, uh, of the map, uh, they didn't provide you with a, a map of the map. You're just, like, going through, like, straight, left, straight, uh, right. And if you are writing down on, like, graph paper <laughs> where you're going, it... The map spells out the solution to the problem it's supposed to solve. Yeah, spoiler if you haven't played That's... that game, and we're going to find your old desktop at your parents' place. Yeah, if you were on the you cusp can find of that. them online. You can. Oh, of you, we can play them online. Can. Amazing. I just found oh, the thank Holy you Grail for finding one. this. I'm going to have to go back and play this. Uh, this is amazing. I had no idea this existed. And there's yeah. like, I'm just showing a photo to them. Um, there's a bunch of stills from the game, and they have like a fighting game uh, in the Quest for the Holy Grail, which is the one I played, mm -hmm. where you're fighting against the knight who say uh, uh, not. Oh, the, sorry, Black the Black Knight, yeah. and it's got yeah. the um, Mortal Kombat style finish. That's incredible. Oh, I spent so long playing. They were phenomenal. These were such stupid fun games. <laughs> well, this is a delightful new fact. Um, speaking of uh, Holy Grail, that's sort of the most well-known. Would you yeah. say it's their best? Uh, I, it's, it's a little debatable. Uh, I... I Probably yes. I think it, you know I would have to defer to the wider public opinion and be like, well, yeah, it is. It's probably their best movie. Uh, but I think they're. Uh, I think that Life of Brian and Meaning of Life are really, really strong as well. Yeah. Uh, hot take: Life of Brian makes a great Christmas movie. It's really fantastic. That makes sense. I've never seen it, but uh, well, obviously it, I know a bit about it from researching this episode. Well, too. it opens with the birth of baby Jesus. Oh, that's that how makes, it starts. Yeah, that makes so sense. there you go. <laughs> I've been wanting to put together a list of Christmas movies that aren't Christmas movies mm -hmm. because because of Carol, um, mm -hmm. because that is <laughs> that is one of my favorite Christmas movies. Um, but also, we recently watched in for uh, our bonus podcast right. fan club, which also takes place during Christmas. Right. I was like, there's got to be so many of these that aren't Die Hard. Of course. <laughs> of course there are. Yeah. Uh, we just all latched on to Die Hard for whatever reason, other than it being a great movie. Yes. So. There's that. But uh, now, Life of Brian goes yeah, on the list. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. It Love belongs it. on the list. And, uh, and freaking Meaning of Life uh, got a... I'm trying to remember, was it the Palme d'Or at Cannes? Uh, but it got a major, or the Grand Jury Prize, but it got a major prize at Cannes. What? I didn't <laughs> really? know that. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Damn. What do you think is the reason that um, uh, Quest for the Holy Grail is the one that kind of caught most in popular culture? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I, I think it has, you know, just a lot to do with the way that I, I don't have all the like uh, release models. No, 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 You know, like well, oh, that's yeah, it disappointing. <laughs> Anders. Wow, Anders. We, yeah. we expect people to come to this podcast with math. <laughs> I want your Wikipedia pages <laughs> open, just if you had to estimate. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't know. I think that it was, uh, it was a good bridge between their uh, sketch style and a more narrative flowing uh, style of, of storytelling. Like in the, the last season of uh, Flying Circus, they were getting a little bit more narrative with mm -hmm. what they were doing. Uh, and so it's sort of an extension of that because a sketch movie, those never really, really work yeah, that well. Yeah. Um, and that's actually one of the biggest flaws I find in Meaning of Life is after uh, Holy Grail and Life of Brian are both very, very narrative, have a through line, Meaning of Life is just back to being kind of a hodgepodge of sketches. And right. it, it does suffer a little bit of that, uh, except in the opinions of the con jury, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if also part of the appeal of it is that Arthurian legend. It's That is something that we all... Sure. No, especially in like North American and Western culture, we know that legend so well. So maybe it was an easy bridge for people to be like, "Oh, I recognize this," and now I can kind of see them making fun of that and going taking it to the nth degree. Yeah, an easy royalty-free bridge. <laughs> no problem. Uh, okay, what else? Oh, the, the story of Jesus. Great. There's no royalties on that either. No one's yeah, going to charge us totally. money. I mean, I think also from what I understand, when this when that movie landed, it got really big with nerds. 
Um, it's like, very nerdy. It's very yeah. nerdy. Like you know, it's it's a fantasy, right? So yeah. like, and yeah. I think at the time there was a lot of like, you know, want for that. So yeah. I wonder if that's the part of what did it was it like landed so huge with a certain group that it became a cult following, you know? And it got away with doing more with less in a way that only comedy can. Yeah, like totally. You, if you were trying to do like a serious epic about King Arthur, you you could you couldn't really get away with doing as much as they were doing because they couldn't afford horses, so they <laughs> banged coconuts <laughs> together. And Genius. They, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I think it definitely like uh, created a sort of self-aware meta-narrative uh, before meta-narratives were cool huh. <laughs> in that respect. Oh, it's just like the peasants yelling at them and just like talking about how, oh, I, I love that movie so much. I think that movie does so much uh, for influencing like my comedy style growing up and just the impact it had. Oh, the whole thing about the friggin' <laughs> swallows. Oh, <laughs> no. Um, speaking of comedy styles, how do, do you feel like? Th- how do you feel like this has influenced your comedy style? It, if you were like, no, it hasn't. Immensely, <laughs> immensely. Can you it's imagine? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I had a, a comedy troupe for many years that I, I was performing with, and we would also make our sketches bleed from one into the next cool. uh, because it just sort of felt like. Oh well, that's cool when they do it. So what if we do it too? And and you know, it means you don't have to write endings to things, <laughs> which is without question the hardest part of any sketch. Yeah, yeah. any yeah. SNL uh, night, you watch a great sketch, and then they just kind of go, and that's yeah. it, and that's the end of the sketch. Yeah. Well, and it's also a really fun creative challenge to give yourself, and you end up with things that you wouldn't have otherwise by uh, deciding, like, okay, well. We've got all the sketches. Let's put them in order. Okay, great. This is the order. Now we got to come up with what are the things that fit in between each of these. And it's and some of the most interesting things that uh, that we came up with uh, in my troupe uncalled for, and that I've I, and I continue to do this now in my solo sketch stuff where I'm trying to have everything sort of lead into each other is. Uh, just out of this necessity of like, okay, well, I've got this idea and this idea. How can I get from one to another? Or, oh, I need to move chairs on stage. <laughs> how can I do it without turning the lights off and playing some music uh, and have it make sense and have it be part of what's going on? Yeah. Oh, cool. I feel like the, it just sets so many limits for creativity. Yeah. Well, and that's what creativity thrives under, yeah, obviously. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, they've been extremely influential uh, in that regard. And and you know, I went on to be in a, a comedy troupe that was a bunch of straight white men and one gay man. So you know, just <laughs> the legacy, like, yeah. keeping that legacy alive, buddy. Yeah. Oh, what is the nerdiest thing that you've done in relation to this fandom? Ah, yes. See, I knew this question was coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, other than uh, play the CD-ROM games. Uh, <laughs> When uh, I was in high school, of course, um, a friend uh, challenged me uh, to, uh, to to a feat of memorization that I did. Uh, there's uh, a sketch uh, that's all about um, this one uh, German classical composer, and the joke is just that he has a really long name. <laughs> And, Great. And yeah, it's a very simple joke. And uh, and it's just one of the examples of things where what they're doing is uh, hard on purpose or hard, difficult, uh, just for the sake of being difficult. Yeah, uh, that's and, what makes it good. Yeah, and yeah. so uh, my friend uh, bet me that I wouldn't memorize this uh, incredibly long uh, fake uh, German composer's name, uh, and I did it, and uh, and I remember a lot of it still oh. to this day. <laughs> I, Would I you please? Would yeah. you indulge I'm, us? I'm, I'm not going to get it right because uh, the last time I watched this, I was like, oh, I forgot that whole middle section. <laughs> oh my God, there's a whole middle section to forget? That's <laughs> yeah. so funny. Oh, well, yeah. The name is something along the lines of uh, Johann Gambleputty. Devon Ausfern, Schleppender Schleter, Kraskenbron, Friedegger, Dingle Dingle Dungle Dungle, Bernstein, von Neckathrascher, Appelbanger, Horowitz, Stiklensig, uh, Grandenotti, Speltinker, uh, Hundertwasser, sp- uh, and that's where it sort of fizzles out. Right. It's a bit oh, in the middle that's there. That's already but. quite a lot. <laughs> oh my <laughs> yeah, God. Great. The fact that that's, you're just getting to the middle at that point is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, they say the name like, 
nine times in the sketch. You'd have to. I mean, sometimes what makes sketch fun is watching that tightrope walk, you know, of like, we've we've set ourselves a stupid challenge and you're going to watch us fail to do it or do it successfully. Which is also a way in which they have influenced my comedy. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Just like, oh, oh, this is hard and unnecessary. Great. Let's do it. Yeah, watch me struggle to do this and wonder why I've chosen it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, Okay, we're going to get into our hot takes in just a mm. second but before we do this episode is brought to you by tpublic.com where you're going to find your next favorite t-shirt tpublic has unique and nerdy designs that you can get on t-shirts you can get it on a tank top you can get it on a mug you can get it on a hoodie anything you can think of you can probably get a design on it uh and it has so many incredible uh, artists on there doing uh, their own designs and getting paid fairly for it. Yeah, which we love. You can also customize the size, the color of the fabric on any piece of clothing, which is great. You can get it exactly the way you want it. Um, there are definitely a ton of Monty Python designs, and we'll put one in our store so you can check that I'm out. I'm absolutely but- finding an I'm not dead yet. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I love that. Love that. Um, But yeah, as as Steph said, all of the uh, artists that provide designs are getting paid fairly for their work, um, which is awesome because when you buy a shirt from the Tee Public store, you're supporting an indie artist as well as this podcast. That's two for one, baby. Two for one. We love a deal. Uh, So head on over to tpublic.thefandomshow.com to check out all our merch and favorite designs from Tee Public. So that's tpublic.thefandomshow.com. And thank you so much, Tee Public, for your support. Thank you, T-Shirt Daddy. <laughs> All right, we're getting into hot takes. Oh, I'm excited. So I'm this excited. is uh, Sean Gallagher from our Patreon says, mm. I honestly don't think the majority of people in the modern day get Monty Python, particularly classic Python back in the Flying Circus days. They appreciate it for sure, and it's funny in an absurdist way, but most people don't actually get how edgy and skewering of British life and culture it actually was at the time. <laughs> You don't appreciate this on the level that I appreciate it on. Wow, hot take. Huh? No, but like I think I didn't. I don't know British culture at the time, so I think it's it's interesting to see some of the the jabs that they're taking. Sure. Yeah. Out of context. Yeah, I think it's a context thing. Maybe mm-hmm. is what 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 they're getting at there yeah. is like. Do you think context makes a difference on this this type of thing? Of course, of course. Yeah. No, there is some truth to the to this hot take. Uh, obviously, as much as I wanted to. Mock it, but but yes, and and the timing as well as the the location, you know, the, the things that they were getting away with, they had well, they had to get away with uh, mm-hmm. a lot of things. Uh, so yeah, there is there is an edginess to that, uh, but I don't know. I think that. I think that people know that it was harder to make edgy jokes back in the 60s and 70s and yes. 80s. Uh, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, put down the average comedy viewer as much as this hot taker does. Do you uh, think the average comedy viewer could put on a Monty Python sketch now and connect to it? Mm, sure. It depends which sketch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> depends which one. Uh, but uh, yeah, absolutely. I think some of their stuff... Uh, completely holds up. I think, again, like, if you are a fan of comedy, you've already seen comedy that is based on that comedy. Exactly, You know, yeah. like, it's it's already part of the legacy of what you enjoy. So, like, going in with that, I'm sure a lot of people would still appreciate it. Yeah. Maybe. Um, okay, how about this? The people who banned Life of Brian didn't bother to watch Life of Brian, or they would have understood the message, which was about satirizing those who have ruined religion over the last few thousand years. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I think... Definitely the people who uh, uh, wanted to ban Life of Brian had not seen it. I totally agree with that. It was uh, banned in so many countries. Oh, yeah, yeah. Was it really? And I didn't know this. Can you explain the reason it was banned? Well, because, uh, you know, as we've mentioned, it's uh, it's a story uh, that talks about uh, the story of Jesus, but it follows a sort of parallel figure, uh, the person who was born in the main manger next door to <laughs> where Jesus was born, uh, and uh, his life, uh, and the how he becomes like an unlikely prophet, uh, and... Uh, uh, yeah, his life ends up mirroring uh, Jesus's life in many ways, uh, though uh, Jesus is really a minor character, and they're not really actually talking about Jesus that much. Yeah. Uh, they're talking about this other guy, Brian. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it got banned because people thought it was sacrilegious. People thought it was mocking Jesus. Uh, uh, Christianity or, or mocking Jesus or whatever. Thank and goodness forbid we ever do oh that. God, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure that 
most of the places where it got banned, it got banned just because people are afraid of upsetting a large block of people. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, they, uh, of course, did it without watching it. Uh, the place where I'll differ from this is I don't necessarily think that watching the movie would have changed their minds. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that like a thoughtful like noticing that it is in what it is in fact mocking would make the types of people who ban movies that much more willing to be like, sure, we'll let this go by because they're doing it to, like for the optics of it. Like, yeah. So, yeah. Those bans apparently did get lifted, though, like 25 years later. <laughs> They're finally like, we're okay with this. They're allowed to make wow, fun of this. that's so brave. Well, and I think that those bans, uh, I'm sure, it, in some ways helped the movie because, oh, I can't see this thing? Great, now I want to. So I'm sure it also cut into the box office. <laughs> 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 All right, this one is from uh, Diana, our uh, pod mom. Mm. Uh, she says, I always feel weird calling Terry Gilliam a member of Monty Python. Mm. His work in the troupe is so separate from the rest that he has always felt like an honorary member to me and not a core member of the cast. But this may just be his lack of visibility compared to the rest. Disagree. Okay. Uh, I mean, it, it, there are lots of reasons to see him as a bit of an outsider because he's also the only American in a very British group. Mm. Uh, and yeah, his voice is not, uh, well, his face is not as visible on the screen, but he plays some great iconic characters. And it's kind of fun to have a... Uh, like a lesser player mixed in, like in uh, in Holy Grail, he's the one clanking those coconut shells together. Yeah. <laughs> it's great to have that. He's Patsy. Patsy. But, uh, but yeah, I Monty Python would not be Monty Python without the animations that he contributed. Uh, and uh, much as I don't want to stick up for the man now, <laughs> <laughs> noted. I, noted. I do. Uh, I do feel like uh, yeah, he's. He's fully an integral member uh, of uh, of the troupe, but I'm, but you know, like I'm also willing to. I want to, like, you know, expand uh, my definition of who's in the troupe as well, because there's certain key players on the outside who were instrumental throughout, uh, like uh, directors that they worked with during their. Um, uh, TV years before they started directing their own stuff, and uh, and Carol Cleveland, of course, uh, who I kind of wish had a, an opportunity to contribute more uh, yeah. creatively, of course, because uh, she's she's funny, she's great. But she, did she have any part in the writing, or was she one no. of the performers? No, she was Got just it. a performer, unfortunately. Got it. All right, this one is Monty Python is a lot like Mel Brooks in that it's not that you can't make the same material in today's world, but rather people apply their own prejudices when hearing the joke and would be laughing for the wrong reasons. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I uh, yeah, I'm I'm on board with with some of that. Yeah, because yeah, I I mean, my favorite Mel Brooks take uh, the, the, from the internet, of course, is, yeah, you, you can't make Blazing Saddles today because if you tried to make Blazing Saddles, somebody would say to you, that movie's already been made. It exists. Why are you making it again? <laughs> this, you can't just make the same movie a second time. Oh, Mel Oh, Brooks. God damn it, Mel Brooks. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Uh, and... And yeah, I feel the same way about you know Monty Python. It's, well, y you can't imagine that genie back into the bottle. That yeah. those ideas mm -hmm. are out there, um, and you can't look at the world. It, it's interesting. Like it, uh, I hate it, but I love it. Just did an episode on yesterday, the movie about what mm. if the Beatles never happened, right? And one of their criticisms of it, uh, spoiler, um, is that it. A world where the Beatles never happened would be so radically different than yeah. it is today, yeah. and they didn't really address that. And I feel like that's true of Monty Python as well. Like oh, imagining yeah. a world without Monty Python is a very different landscape. I mean, a, a world without the Beatles would have less Monty Python in it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> very, very good point. Yeah. Um, so well, yeah, it's a hard thought experiment because it's like, oh, but it, there's so many like strings to pull there. Yeah, I'm so curious yeah. about some of the things that had Monty Python not existed that we wouldn't have today. Obviously, Kids in the Hall and like comedically, like people who are drawn uh, directly back to that source material. But there's probably so many references and things that, you know, we don't get because we don't know Monty Python that well mm -hmm. that are just proliferated throughout popular culture. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, okay, how about this? Uh, 
When I first encountered Monty Python, both the movies and the TV show, I found them hilarious. As I got older, I started spotting potential social commentary, and for me, that made them less funny. The show only really worked for me as aggressively arbitrary absurdity. Hmm. So they're uh, dismaying at the lack of taking that additional next step into social commentary. That's very interesting. Um, I don't know. I disagree. I disagree. I, uh, you know, I, I, I find there's a lot of value in using comedy as social commentary, and I think it can be a really effective tool for that. But I don't want to uh, make it comedy's job to always and only do that. Yeah. Uh, I think that comedy suffers if it has to always have a point. Uh, yep. And there's nothing wrong with liking things just because they're silly. I think you might be agreeing with this person because I think what they're trying to say is that it made them less funny when they when they thought they were doing political commentary. Oh, I miss – see, okay, I'm misunderstanding things right now. <laughs> I, I, I might be wrong, but that's that's what I'm getting from this is that they, it only worked when it was arbitrary and mm. not, not trying to say something. Hmm. Okay. Well, I still think I disagree with them <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I, I, I think that I mean I think some of their political commentary is amazing. Like yeah. some of the stuff in Life of Brian, I keep coming back to that movie. But that movie, um, it it makes fun of the left in really fun ways. Uh, Monty Python, of course, you know, goes after uh, the wealthy and the upper class a lot. So it's just kind of fun every once in a while to uh, have the mockery go in the other direction. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so they have like uh, you know. A group of uh, you know radical organizers who are just uh, constantly arguing about things and never really getting anything done. Wow. That sounds about right. So much has <laughs> changed since <laughs> then. I also think like everything has a perspective, of course, and like it, there is there is no neutral thing, no mm -hmm. fully neutral thing. We only consider something neutral if we already agree with everything it's saying. <laughs> then we consider it yeah. neutral. Um, but like everything has a political perspective in one way or another because that's how people see the world. So. Mm. Is that true of the source content or is that true of how people watch it and mm. apply that lens to it, though? Because I think you're, it's very possible to do comedy that is strictly silly. It's not saying anything. It doesn't have a meat. Like, it's not trying to hit a point. I think it's, it's harder just, than you think. I think it's hard, but I think it exists. Because, like, I think, you know, it's hard to come up with an example, but, like, you you make fun of, like, oh, there's too many cyclists. That seems silly, right? But, <laughs> but then you can end up attaching a political idea to that, you know? Like, everything is a perspective and everything can, like, be attached to meaning. But, again, is that by the author or by the listener? Does it matter? Oh, I don't know. Whoa. I don't know. Whoa. Whoa. Questions we will not be answering here today. <laughs> but, yeah. such an interesting conversation because I remember talking to a few friends recently. They've written a sketch show, and, um, you know, they were talking through some of the sketches to decide if they were going to be in the show or not. Uh, and the director was like, but this one doesn't say anything. Oh, yeah, and they that were is like, annoying. Well, it doesn't need to. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be funny. Yeah. I just want to make people laugh with it and be silly on stage. I don't yeah. need it to try to say anything. Yeah, I'm certainly not saying that uh, that everything needs to say something, but a lot of things say something whether we want them to or not, mm. I guess, yes. is what I'm getting at. Yes. Interesting. Anyway, where were we? Uh, <laughs> all right, so this one is, it. Uh, Monty Python isn't of its time. Uh, their humor isn't and has never been universal, but weirdos on its wavelength are born every day, so its best bits hold up shockingly well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah, weirdos on its wavelength are born every day. It is, it is such a... <laughs> teen boy kind of <laughs> show. Like, uh, yeah, I see you that. know, I, like it does not have to be. <laughs> uh, I, I almost hesitated to single this out as my fandom because I'm like, uh, am I... Because, first of all, I'm not the same level of fan now as I was when mm -hmm. I was a teen right, boy. Yeah. Uh, but also, it feels it feels extremely nerdy as somebody who is in comedy to <laughs> hold on to something like this, which is just, like, relentlessly quoted by the most socially awkward people you've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, I, I know those quotes, too, but I know better than to say them all the time. <laughs> yeah, make it my personality. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's so interesting that there are folks who really glom onto this. And I don't know how much of it is based on, you know, the politics of some of the members now uh, mm -hmm. that are driving, uh, you know, people who are potentially more conservative um, 
you know, more aligned with uh, John Cleese's uh, social media presence now. But it is interesting that, like, you want to love the thing you love and you want to share it with people and be mm-hmm. like, I love this. But also sometimes it has a weird association and trying to make sure that you're differentiating. Like, I love the content, but not necessarily the messages of the creators. Oh, yeah. Oh, and or the messages that they had at the time in yeah. some of those sketches. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, I mean, we just recorded the Frasier episode also today, so this is why it's this is coming up a lot. But I think there's also a lot of overlap in both of these things. But, like, Kelsey Grammer is also an intense conservative, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, that can make people go back and watch Frasier differently and more conservatively than I think it was intended to be. Yeah. Um, Has it changed any of your feelings about any of the content that you grew up with and loved and were influenced by based on where some of the opinions of the creators sit now? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I mean, it's definitely in the back of my head when I'm watching uh, some of the the things that they're doing. I'm trying to think of a of a specific sketch or example that sticks out that yeah. that I uh, feel like ooh uh, uncomfortable about yeah. now. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I struggle to like yeah grab a specific example, but sure, it's impossible not to have an awareness of some of those things. Uh, And so I just uh, plug up that part of my brain (laughs) and say, yes, I am a politically aware person and I can think about that during other moments, but right now I just want to laugh at something silly. Yeah, and and two two things can be true at once. You know, that can be true and also it can be funny and those those two things can be separate potentially. Yeah. Yeah. But I find it's also like it with just general content now that the inter- the internet has made sure that we're aware of everyone's everything all the time. Watching, you know, creators who are considered problematic now being like, oh, but I do just want to watch my show. Like I, I, I want to separate the actor mm-hmm. from their performance mm-hmm. uh, where possible, but it's so complicated. Yeah, Justin Roiland is good at voices, but... Oh, boy. But, but... But, 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 but. (laughs) Yeah, it's complicated. Yeah, what is the answer there? Like, how do you, how do you enjoy those things? I don't know. I don't have the answers. Yeah. Are there any hot takes that you need to get out into the world about Monty Python? Yeah, oh, I put a lot of thought into this. Uh, Yeah, I think my hot take is that Monty Python deserves uh, more queer appreciation as a, like, as a queer work, even though only one of the members was queer. uh, I think that that influence, especially for the era, the time and place that they were in, like, there is still, as much as they were, like, pushing back against, like, British culture, there's still a lot of repression uh, internalized within uh, what they were doing. And so even if it wasn't as, uh, you know, outspokenly queer, and it's, of course, diluted by all of those straight people as well, some of the bits and even throwaway gags or things, again, that I was not picking up on when I first uh, enjoyed the show, uh, really... Uh, Really connect uh, on on a queer level that I don't I don't know I just never see them uh, appreciated for their uh, contributions to or their their queer content in the way that I see kids in the hall getting yeah. that oh, kind yeah, of appreciation. Oh yeah, like the step sketch. And, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I think that uh, and and I think partially it's because some of what they were putting out uh, would now be considered problematic mm-hmm. uh, and not like a perfect uh, gay representation. Yeah. But I just, uh, I don't know, I'm just so happy when I see even very problematic queer representation in older media just because it's something. Give yeah, me something. Yeah, it's at least there. Yeah, yeah. I want it. And so. that was enough at the time. <laughs> yeah. Really, <laughs> a glance would be enough to launch a thousand <laughs> fan fictions. Yes. Yes, yeah. that, that factually <laughs> happened. <laughs> I would not be surprised at finding a ton of Monty Python fan fiction on the internet. That would be pretty funny. Now I, I want to go look this I up. I did recently find out that somebody has made a chat GPT argument clinic. Oh, good. That good, you can go in good. and argue with. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, an AI will argue with you in the manner of... That's just called Twitter. Yeah. I mean, isn't that the <laughs> you don't need an AI for that. Yeah. You can just post any opinion online and you can have that. That, that was, I guess, prescient in that respect. <laughs> oh <my God>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, amazing. Okay, at the end of every episode, we like to share our micro-fandoms of the week, which we will do in just a moment. But before we do, here are some of the other ways you can connect with us here at The Fandom Show. You can find us on social media at Fandom Show Pod or at our website, thefandomshow.com. Um, you can also tell your friends about us. And if you can, I know we say this every episode, but it is so, so, so helpful. If you can get on your podcast provider of choice, we love Apple Podcasts, but we also love them all, and do a little rate, review, subscribe, even just the most basic one sentence thing can really help us get I'm more not dead. eyes, ears. Yeah, let, let's say let's say he's not dead <laughs> or something like that can can be really really helpful in making us uh you know, the stars of the podcast world that we have always been destined to be. Um yeah. We also have merch. Uh, head on over to tpublic.thefandomshow.com and you can snag our little faces on your favorite things, on shirts, on mugs, on notebooks, on stickers. Anders is drinking out of one right now. We love drinking out of our own faces. Yeah. And you Ugh. can too. Uh, you can, <laughs> you can also find us on the From Superheroes Discord where you can meet other fans or hit us up directly. We love to check it out. Um, and our theme song is by Yusu Kim uh, and our logo is by John Blair. And now for our micro-fandoms for the week. Uh, starting with Steph. Me. We're just uh, pointing. We're just pointing. That's why the silence is like, who's, who goes now? Is it you, Steph? It is me. Um, so my micro-fandom of the week uh, is based on something that we uh, did a few weeks ago, which is we went to go see uh, Jinx Monsoon and <gasps> Ben De La Creme. Yeah, we did. And oh, wow. we, we've watched awesome. Drag Race, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and have fallen in love with these queens. But then, you know, as time goes on, you forget about how much you love certain mm. performers. And then getting to see them live performing these two queens are astounding. They are exactly the type of comedy I love. They're exactly the kind of ridiculous camp that I love. There were costume changes. There were musical numbers. They did a, a padam padam, um, but it was uh, the little drummer boy. And it good, was good, good. brilliant. From and, moment one, it was amazing. Uh, brilliant. And uh, we were lucky enough. It was a gift for Kai's birthday to stick around for a Q&A. Uh, with them and I got to ask them about producing and like how do you not lose your mind and just they were so honest uh, and hilarious and beautiful Ben de la Creme is the producer of all this stuff oh, so wow. on top of being an incredible performer she also runs it all helps write it all she directs how does she not lose her mind uh, she says the being on stage is the thing that makes it all worthwhile well, getting yeah. to be in front yeah. of that audience and honestly it's true <laughs> yeah. yeah figure uh, out what makes it worth it for you yeah so it was just uh, just reminding me of how much I love both of those queens uh, and how I want to watch absolutely everything they do. They have a Christmas special. This is obviously coming out after the holidays, but they have a Christmas special on their website that you can uh, purchase to watch one of the ones they did during the pandemic. So mm. that is something that I'm super excited. We should do that. That should be one of the things we do for the holidays. Hell yeah. Akaya, what are you fanning out about? Um, I'm currently on a Naomi Klein kick. I just read you really her are. recent <laughs> book, Doppelganger, and I found it absolutely fascinating. Um, she's also... Uh, around a lot right now because um, she is Jewish and has for a long time been discussing the issue with Palestine, Israel and she has a really, really illuminating chapter about that and the history of Zionism. But the whole book is about the idea of like doppelgangers and how she discovered she had a doppelganger in Naomi Wolf um, who is uh, has gone very much down the rabbit hole uh, into the Bannon world and she wanted to figure out why that happens to people and how social media becomes a doppelganger and then like it just kept she keeps going down this rabbit hole that's super super fascinating um so i highly recommend checking out that book doppelganger i really enjoyed it and it helped clarify for me why i feel and a lot of people feel like there's a weird upside down side of the world right now cool yeah yeah Uh, it was interesting i uh i just to quote the internet again that doppelganger thing with naomi klein and naomi wolf i i learned a mnemonic to keep them separated oh my god really Uh, yeah if your naomi is klein you're doing just fine if your naomi is wolf buddy oof (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure she would deeply appreciate that that's so funny i was not aware of this phenomena i wasn't uh, on twitter enough i guess um so yeah, it was. That's it's fascinating. It's fascinating, and it's one of her more personal books because it's coming from her personal experience mm-hmm. of being like, "What the hell is happening?" I'm being confused with this person mm-hmm. who believes everything I do not believe. Mm-hmm. It's Whoa. super, super cool. It's a very compelling read. Cool, Anders. What are you? Uh... <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm currently fanning out about uh, the 
the show Scavenger's Reign, uh, which uh, I'm uh, I'm only uh, maybe halfway into. So for all I know, it could go off the deep end and start to suck. Uh, but uh, it is brilliant. It's uh, it's a, a, a 2D animated uh, show, uh, half hour sci-fi uh, show, and it it feels like if Miyazaki uh, set uh, a, a a sort of um, a sci-fi story on one of the planets from Rick and Morty. It's oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, it it just spends so much creative time world building and just showing all of these creatures on this strange foreign planet. And so much of the show is just sort of getting to know the food chain cool. and, and experiencing it. And it's tense, too. It's a tense, tense show. Uh, it's very, very cool, very interesting. That sounds amazing. Amazing. Awesome. Uh, Anders, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you? Uh, anything you want to plug? Sure, yeah. Uh, people can find me uh, uh, on Instagram, at uh, Anders Yates. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm technically on the other social medias, too, but not really. Don't go there. I'm not, gonna, <laughs> there's I'm not doing anything there. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, I, uh, you mentioned I'm going to San Francisco, but if you're not going to be there, uh, I'm doing a show uh, on January 21st at Comedy Bar at 7 p.m., uh, where I'm inviting a bunch of other sketch comedians to do uh, some performances, and I'm going to uh, preview the set that I'll be doing in San Francisco. Cool. So Amazing. that can be your chance to check that out. Awesome. Oh, so sick. Um, until next time, everyone, love the things you love and tell everyone about them. And also go to Archive of Our Own because there is 204 Monty Python slash fan fictions. For oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Michael Palin and Eric Idle seem to be a very popular pairing. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year. Uh, I hope 2024 brings you all the wonderful fandom things that you dream. Or something completely different. Bye. Ah, bye. Podcast interviews are way more exciting with some money where those mouths are. Hi, I'm Nug Nargang. I'm the host of a new podcast called One Dollar Words. Join me and my guest for an interview with a twist. We'll each be given secret lists of five random words. During the interview, for each word they get me to say, they win a dollar. But I get a dollar back for each word on my list that they say. Will the guest win five bucks? Will they owe me five bucks? What the hell's this interview going to sound like? Listen along as we play One Dollar Words. Available on the Sonar Network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Fandom Show is produced by Andrew Ivamy as part of the From Superheroes Network. For more great podcasts like this, as well as webcomics, articles, and so much more, visit FromSuperheroes.com.